Hi, friends. I'm Logan Clements, one of your co-hosts with the Better Events Podcast. And in this week's episode, we're talking about staffing and how you can staff your next event. Mary and I tackle, you know, the difference between in-person event staff and hybrid and virtual event staff, where we find people to work our events. And my favorite question that we asked in this episode is talking about volunteers as event staff, if they are overrated or underrated. So you'll have to give it a listen to hear how both Mary and I answered. But before we start the episode, I do want to remind you, if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and or sharing it with someone else in your community. That just helps us grow our community of listeners and continue to help people create and host and attend better events. But without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow, and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started, and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. We are so glad that you're with us today, and we are looking forward to our topic. It's Logan and I today. This is Mary, one of your co-hosts, joined by Logan, our other co-host, and we are going to jump into our topic um, about how to staff your next event. But before we do that, we have a conversation starter. So, Logan, do you want to take our conversation starter today? Kick us off with it. Okay, I'll ask it for to you first then. Um, have Mary, uh, have you tried something new recently or rekindled an interest in something? Yeah, actually, kind of. So I've been trying to, this is like, you're catching me at the super beginning stages. And so maybe check in with me later. But I used to play the piano. I played it for 10 years growing up. And I have had a desire for a long time to get back into it just because I, now that I don't have to play, I like want to. <laughs> and so I um, was at my parents' house visiting last week and they still have the piano. And so I was kind of playing on it and I was like, I want to start doing this more. And so I was looking into how to teach myself. So there you go. That's what I'm going to try to start doing more of maybe. Don't hold me to that, but <laughs> perhaps. So that's me. What about you? Are you? Have you tried something new recently? I have recently acquired rollerblades. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I can't remember. But I, uh, after our California trip, Mary, I was very inspired by the rollerbladers down by the beach. And I was like, you know what? That's a fun way to get around. I feel like I think of like bikes and scooters. And listeners, Seattle weather is not LA weather. But Mm -hmm. there is a lovely like bike pedestrian trail near my house that's all paved and down by uh, the Puget Sound and the waterfront and then the lake here in Seattle. And so I have convinced myself that part of me wants to be like a rollerblader this summer. And so I have not done it yet. I think I need to find a parking lot and practice. But like Mary's thing, I we can update you listeners later. But I did buy rollerblades mm-hmm. and some safety gear because I know I'm going to fall. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Aren't there like roller derbies? I could totally see you entering in one of those. There are, we but those – yeah. Those are like the four wheels, and I bought the like oh, sports blades that are like inline skates. Okay. Yeah. But eventually, awesome. maybe. I don't know. I, <laughs> I haven't done it since like elementary school, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. I definitely am going to check in with you to see how that's going. Um, so we then transitioned into why we are choosing this topic for today. So as we mentioned, we're talking about how to staff your next event. And so in episode 61, right before this, we talked about event budgets. So 
now it makes sense to dive into the people behind the event. So we have our budget. So who's actually pulling off the event? What kind of staff do you need? What does it take? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So before we do, though, we are going to take a quick ad break. Hi, everybody. Mary Davidson here. When I'm not podcasting, I'm running my event planning and production company called EP Events, Events with a Purpose. Purposeful events are our jam. We specialize in fundraising events, corporate events, and community events, whether virtual, hybrid, or in-person. Our services include everything from full service planning and production to partial roles, such as Zoom production, vendor management, stage management, all those good things. Whatever the role, our goal is to help you with your goal as we create purposeful events. To learn more, reach out to me, Mary Davidson, on all social platforms at EP Events LLC or on our website at epevents.org. Yeah, so this uh, week's episode, we're talking about how to staff your event. I know this is something that I feel like is important coming on the back end of the budget conversation, but just also no matter who you are, we are going to have a very uh, general overview, I guess, of kind of event staff that we think through. So if you're an event professional um, and you're any part of this puzzle, you know, I think this is a really helpful episode. Talk about in-person, some hybrid virtual. We'll talk about volunteers, which I am so stoked listeners to hear Mary's thoughts on this. And uh, we'll end as always uh, with our bonus tip of the week. Our first question, what are common roles that you staff at in-person events? So starting on the in-person event side, who do you staff? Uh, again, this is nice in general, but I think you need to think about the size of your event. There's no one-stop solution for what staff you need, but thinking about everything from, for me, this is really helpful to actually think through it as like an attendee and who they need to interact with. So an attendee arrives, registration. You're going to need people to staff registration or check-in, whatever you call it, someone to greet your guests when you're coming. The volume or number of folks you're going to need for a 50-person event is very different than what you're going to need for a 3,000-person event. Just think you're doubling, tripling, quadrupling times 10, the staff you need to for a check-in. Um, for an example, I do a volunteer uh, women's organization here in Seattle, and we host monthly events, and they always have two people helping check-in to help get you a name tag, get your drink tickets, check you off on the list. That's their core event staff besides then their production team, because it's just usually some networking and then a talk. So then you'd have your production team, which I want to, as we do this discussion, Mary brought up a good point before we recorded is sometimes it's hard to discern, like, what do you call staff? Staff could really, you could count your vendors as staff, but I often discern between like, who am I responsible for? Or who is, if you're the client or the event host, who are you responsible for in terms of staff? And then what are you delegating? What are you hiring an outside vendor for? And so myself or Mary might be that outside vendor. And then we have our own event staff that we're bringing. Does that, Mary, does, am I making sense with the difference kind of between the two? They're very synonymous. Yeah. No, I think making uh, making the difference clear is important. And I think that was helpful. Yeah. So, because that's what, that's what I, when I think about this topic, that's where my mind goes is like, wait, who's who, who's considered staff? What does this actually mean? Because um, coming from the fundraising background, it's very, very heavy on volunteers versus hiring it out. And so that's why think it's an interesting topic. So there you go. Yeah. And I think staff, again, we're going to talk about staff is synonymous for, it doesn't mean if they're paid or unpaid, I would say. We're going to talk a little bit more explicitly about what a volunteer who is someone who's not paid as event staff is. But this is just, uh, in my mind, I just think like bodies, like sheer, I need three people sitting at this desk to check people in. Then if you have like a really complicated venue, if we're, again, we're still in the in-person scenario, 
You might need human signage. You know, my pet peeve is signage and there's never enough signage. One way to make up for it is human kind of wayfinders. You might hear them called. I don't know, Mary, what else you call direction folks, but people kind of, you know, floating and helping say, okay, this yeah. is this way to breakfast or this way to your opening session or the show or, you know, kind of how you see ushers in a theater, um, wayfinders. And then anybody who's executing anything, I count a lot of it now as like production. Like if you're doing a conference, you're going to need people doing the actual production in each of the rooms. So that could be event staff you're bringing. Or maybe you've hired a vendor. You've hired a production company. You've hired Mary. You've hired me, somebody else to handle it. So now you as the event host, you're just responsible for having like one person from your team in that room to oversee it and be a representative because you can't be in all places at once. So as you're thinking through what event staff do I need, I would think one, what's the attendee experience look like? And two, what are you doing on the event day and who, like how many of yous do you need because you can't be in five places at once? And that's like, I know I saved it for later, but the common mistakes I see is folks think they can do all of these jobs themselves. And that's usually where you see cracks in an event because it's understaffed. Another good problem to have is you are overstaffed. You know, we talked last week about budgets a lot. So that's not a good budget thing, especially if you're paying people. But from an attendee exp experience side, you don't want super long lines at your registration and checking in. You don't want people getting lost. You don't want people being confused of what room, they, what room they need to be in or programming going long. And your catering staff doesn't know that because no one's in charge of figuring out where that goes. So roles might look like event managers or someone at the manager level, whatever you call them. So who's in charge of a group. Event assistants. These people could be people who do registration, who are floaters, not as much experience, and they're reporting to somebody with more experience. But identify those key areas. Like I said, registration, maybe wayfinding, actual programming content. You could have somebody just dedicated to food and beverage, or as Mary mentioned, like the fundraising portion. Someone's just in charge of silent auction. You need some key heads. And then depending on how big your event is, maybe they need some assistance under them. And that really, again, varies based on how many folks that you're trying to move around at your event. Yeah, definitely. So in regards to in-person events, you covered so many different roles that you might need. And if we're, like Logan said, thinking of the bodies, the people that you might need. Also, just some other ones I want to hit on or re-hit on are staging or like, like setup people and maybe hiring that out. Those might be volunteers, people to help set up the event, people to help tear down the event. And I would say these two roles are the ones that get most forgotten. And then it's whoever's left over to set up or clean up are the people that do it. And it usually makes them unhappy, makes me unhappy because I'm like, where is everybody? Mary, are you speaking from experience here? I might be. <laughs> so having these roles defined beforehand and the number of people is just, and please do this. Like if you're going to a, a wedding, if you're in a wedding party, make sure this is set up. Like any event, just do it because just think about you're going to have a great time, then you're going to leave, but who's going to do the cleanup? So just don't forget about this one. I would say that's super important. Um, one, one thing I did do for an event is uh, we did use a staffing agency for this because this one is a little less like event skill based. We just needed people that need, would show up and do physical labor. And so that was helpful. Um, other things too is someone like a vendor liaison who can kind of help with that load in, load out process and then check in with them along the way. If you're doing an event that's super heavy vendor, sometimes it's nice to make sure like someone is there making sure they don't need more ice or like need something. If there's a lot of vendors, that should be a specific role. And then 
if you're doing a fundraiser, someone who's in charge of the auction piece, like live auction, silent auction, kind of owning that process. Um, and then someone who's doing like cleanup during the event. So it depends on where you are. Sometimes that's provided based on venue. Sometimes it's not, but just making sure someone has the role of making sure the event stays clean because there's a lot of trash and waste that just accumulates throughout these events. So those are some other ones that I thought of for in-person events. Those are amazing. And I think uh, having like the framework, like I said, it's helpful if you're like, Logan, I have no idea who I need for my event, thinking about it through the attendee experience. And like Mary just said, listing out roles. And like we said, we're talking about staff, but sometimes it's vendors, sometimes you're outsourcing, but just even if you just list out all the roles you think you need, and then having those conversations with your vendors, like your venue, right, Mary, to the cleaning part. Hey, are you providing day of cleaning or is that something I have to bring outside? And then you're like, all right, do I hire staff or do I outsource it to a company? It, because, again, the mistake I see is people think they can save money by eliminating roles, but they actually are really needed. And that's where you notice it on the event day. Because you will notice after your coffee break if all of your coffee cups are just all over the place and little things like that because you skimped on having a cleaner. Or one of the events we just did last May or last month um, was all about security, having to have someone at nighttime. We had a multi-day event watching our equipment because it was expensive. So just roles and things you need to kind of think through. This is really helpful to where your planner, your producer, your event manager can help you through this process. But I think just knowing having a framework for how you're thinking through everybody you need. Definitely. And like, I encourage you if you're doing an in-person event to take that time to walk the space and only think about who needs to be where. That's an amazing practice to be able to do because most likely you'll, you'll think of things you weren't thinking of before because you're physically walking and being like, oh, actually somebody needs to definitely be here because this is a confusing place or something like that. So wanted to encourage that as well. And so that's a lot about in-person, but what about hybrid and virtual events? Where does it differ? Are there different roles and event staff needed? Logan, what are your thoughts? I think if we start with virtual, a lot of, you can do this similar process to in-person, again, thinking through your attendee experience. And this could be instead of having someone sitting at a physical desk, you have somebody who's checking your event email or your organization email for folks who can't access the event. They don't have the link. It's a lot harder with virtual. Uh, so I really hire, I suggest having more folks on that kind of tech customer service side because in person, you can kind of see if someone looks lost, you know, but virtual, it's a little harder. They're behind a computer. You're behind a computer. It's hard to know. So they might be reaching out to you on social or things like that. Um, and then making sure just if you're the speaker, even at like a micro level with a workshop for event staff, we've talked about this before. It's really hard to be a presenter and your own production team. So I always encourage if you're doing anything virtual, have your speakers and then have somebody backstage who's like pulling the strings, spotlighting people, you know, making sure the stream looks good, all of that, because you don't want your presenter to stop and have to troubleshoot somebody's tech issues or vice versa. You want to be able to, you know, entertain the people in the chat if your speaker's having tech issues. So it's very similar to in-person of thinking through those roles. You definitely need a lot, I would say a lot less, a lot fewer people. Wow, I can't word this. You need fewer people for virtual than I think you do in person just because there's less moving parts. Usually there's no food and beverage. Some of that stuff can take more, more staffing. Um, and then moving into hybrid, it's kind of a combo of the two. So it's like you need everything you needed for in-person and you probably need everything you needed in virtual um, because you essentially have two different audiences. Again, different hybrid. What is hybrid? That could just mean having virtual speakers. The opportunity here I see though for staff because we... 
both Mary and I also are staffed by, you know, we staff other people's events as well. If you are listening to this and you're a gig worker or a freelancer or just open to work with other folks, this is a great opportunity. If you can have virtual event skills in, you can get hired on people's events and not have to leave your house because you're helping with the hybrid side of their event, the virtual aspect of their hybrid event. And that's a need I did not see back in 2019 as much as I'm seeing now. So there's an opportunity there um, that you don't, your staff doesn't have to be all on site, which is a positive. I've seen some events that like that everyone's on site, but you don't have to do it. So you can save some money there. Yeah. And as you were talking, I was thinking like, well, what kind of event is harder to staff? Is it harder to staff a virtual event or is it harder to staff an in-person event? And I, I just think that's an interesting thought because with virtual from what it like, what it's sounding like that virtual requires maybe more specialized staff could I say? Because they need yeah. to at least be able to do technology in some sense. Whereas in person, it can just be, you know, Aunt Marge, who is a body and she likes to greet people. And Aunt Marge is totally needed for that in-person event. But I'm not so sure about the virtual, virtual event piece. And so that's interesting though, because in-person needs, like you're saying, like more people. So in that sense, it's hard to find people, but virtual seems more specialized. I mean, there's your key takeaway for this episode, folks, is yeah, for virtual and hybrid, you need people who have some baseline tech skills versus in-person does often need people just like bodies, just somebody there to point someone in that direction, which you just want a friendly face and someone who could stand for a long period of time if your event's, you know, all day. But yeah, I've definitely seen less of a need virtually for that kind of just general, oh, I'm here to help. I'm an extra set of hands. And you mm-hmm. do need, it does require some training. Yeah. Interesting. Good thing to plan for as a planner. <laughs> Definitely. So what about the people? So these are the, the roles that we need. What about the people though? Where do we find them? The people that we need to work our event? I think Yeah, we could probably speak from experience how we get those gigs, but I mean, how, yeah. yeah, Logan, what do you think? How do we, how do you find them? It's fun. I do love what I do because I get to be on both sides of it of like, I am the one doing the hiring sometimes and the finding and other times I'm the one being hired and being found. So it's really, I hope has made me a better person who's hiring because I experience what it's like to be hired and what I love and I don't like. And I apply that hopefully when I'm hiring people, like I've hired Mary for events, she's hired me, you know, for me, it's building that network. We talk about on this podcast all the time, like community over competition, the counterintuitive to some idea that we should all be you know, friends and work with each other, even if we have very similar skills. But that's where I usually pull, I have a pool of probably about 15, 20 people that I know are strong in different skills and different areas. And those are like my first go-tos for when I'm looking for folks. Um, I then often will, as we talked about earlier, staff versus vendors. If I don't feel confident that I could find the staff, because I usually like to either have worked with them or know someone who's worked with them before, Um, especially if it's a larger role. If it's, again, just hands in an event, you could be a a beginner and I would probably work with you. I might actually outsource that to a vendor. So for example, like that, like security at an event, I don't really know any security guards that I could call. So I probably would look for a company that could then staff security for me. Um, But it's often just through networking and who I can think of. I currently have a lovely uh, whiteboard to my left here with a list of people's names so I can remember my good folks um, to know that I can call them when I need them. Um, but they, like Mary mentioned, there are staffing agencies that you can rely on. Um, and that's how I get a lot of my work is word of mouth kind of referral system from folks who like working with me and want to work with me again. So that's how then I get staffed. But Mary, how would you answer that question? Yeah. So I, I would say everything you said, staffing agencies, staffing, um, what, what do you call it? Like there's 
there's groups that we've worked for that have a bunch of event professionals on the list and you can like access that and try to hire people. Um, I think like there's ones like, like Upwork and other like freelance spaces like that. I haven't actually used Upwork, so I'm just kind of brainstorming, but places like that, you can find people there. But as Logan was kind of saying, the best people to work with are the ones you know and trust, like you, you trust them, you can rely on them. And so whether that's because they referred you from someone else or if you worked with, you've worked with them before, maybe that's where you start. So I have a list similar to what Logan was talking about with her whiteboard called um, Power Partners, and it's on like my project management software. And that includes vendors and people like that, which is actually also super helpful if you need to bring in those types of people for events. And um, But another thing is just when I have a conversation with somebody, like I network with them and I'm like, wow, that was a really great person. This is what they're interested in doing. They're they're good at like Zoom production or something like that. Then I add them on my list, like Logan said, so that we can just refer to them when they're needed. Um, so it's going to be really hard. I feel like if you're just starting from like your brain, so really try to to make that list. Even starting from LinkedIn would be hard because you don't necessarily know everything about that person, even if their title says like Zoom producer or something like that. So work on networking and then keep a list of those people that you're talking to just in case you ever need them. It's just a preparation thing. Yeah, because I've definitely hired some folks that have been through people who were on my list, but they were unavailable or it didn't fit what they were looking to do, you know, the work they're kind of trying to do. And then they referred me to someone else. So that there is like a power in your network. And I, I would also say don't discourage you if you have no event experience. You definitely can can still get these gigs in terms of like reaching out and like Mary saying, just like networking with people and having just calls to say, hey, can I treat you to a virtual coffee or an in-person coffee? And just letting them know what you're interested in. Um, there's also, you know, trainings and things you can do. And I mean, I taught myself a lot of things in Zoom just by like volunteering to help with uh, friends like virtual birthday party and stuff like that. So you can kind of DIY a little bit of your experience. Um, but once you yeah. kind of get your foot in the door, it's really that's helped with staffing. And a plug too is if you are in this scenario where you know you're going to need a team and you don't know where to get them, reach out to us because as we've just described, we have a network of people and we love referring out other people. It's just a great way to spread the love. And so, yeah, feel free to, to reach out to us if you're, you might be in that situation, but also looked at like, look at like Facebook event groups, LinkedIn event groups, there's Slack communities, like roles and needs like this are posted all the time, whether you're looking for them or you need to post a role somewhere. Yeah. Well, that, that brings me talking about event staff to my question I teased at the beginning. Mary, I'd love your take on this. Volunteers as event staff. So meaning folks who are not paid, but are staffing your event. And again, we just talked about it probably applies more to in-person, but do you think they're overrated or underrated? Do I think volunteers are overrated or underrated? Ooh. As a um, staff, I think they're, I think they're, mm, this is, that is a hard question, honestly. I think that they're underrated in a sense. I think that the role of, of volunteers is something that is forgotten about because it's a really great place to grab people from. Um, when you grab people, I'm okay, let's, let's talk about like a fundraising event because volunteers are super utilized in fundraising events. So those volunteers are usually friends of your organization. Sometimes they're board members, friends of board members, um, community members, things like that. And so those people, I would say it's, they're underrated because they're people who already support your, your mission and your cause. And it's just another way to have them interact with that. 
Um, and I've had volunteers that I've worked with who like couldn't afford to attend a gala, but they still wanted to like be a part of it and help the organization. So they would volunteer, which I think is great. And so in that sense, I think that they're a really good use of people that you can, you can rely on. So in that sense, they're underrated. Overrated though, I still think they can kind of be overrated at the same time. I like, I have volunteered for events and sometimes I'm like, why am I even here? Like, I feel like because I'm not being paid, I can just be placed anywhere and sit in this space for like six hours and I'm not really doing anything. And in that sense, I think maybe they're they're overrated where we don't necessarily need them all the time just because they're free. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I will. We're going to disagree on this for how okay. you started, which is like one of the first for the podcast. We rarely disagree. <sighs> but I... I think volunteers are great. I'll start out with that. Volunteers are awesome. All the nice things Mary said. But I think it's overrated as event staff because I have experienced so much of what you're talking about, Mary, as a volunteer, where I have shown up, been somebody who's a passionate supporter, wants to be a part of this, and had nothing to do. Or the converse, I've been a paid staffer at an event, and the entire planning process, no one mentioned that we were going to have volunteers. And then on the event day is like, oh, yeah, here's 10 volunteers. And you're like, wait, what? How? How am I? And you feel bad because you're like, I don't know how I'm supposed to utilize you. And I've had this happen time and time again. And again, it tends to be, I feel like the culprits are nonprofits because it's so valuable to have volunteers. But I think this is where it's really important to think about as we talked about this at the top of this, like think through the roles so that you know exactly who you need so that you can both manage the expectations of your paid staff in addition to the managing expectations of your volunteer staff. Because I had one nonprofit client a couple of years ago that had really bad volunteer turnover. Like every year they were not getting returning volunteers. And to me, that's a red flag. That's a sign that you're not doing something right by your volunteers, whether they're not interested or you're not feeding them or, you know, whatever. They're not paid, but you still need to treat them, you know, well, like feed them if they come to your event, give them a thank you note or a little thank you gift if you can, or comp their parking or, you know, do the little things that make them feel special because they're giving you their time for free. But I think so many organizations just rely on that kind of goodwill volunteership and forget that you need to incorporate them into your staffing plan because I it, it works. When it works, it works really well. But I just think there's a lot of folks who kind of just say, oh, yeah, we'll get volunteers to do it. And there's also so many that I, I also say it's overrated because so many people give volunteers too much responsibility. So they'll say a volunteer is going to run the silent auction. <laughs> and you're going that you really need like a week to kind of digest all the information and they're getting handed something that, you know, an hour before doors open and expected to know everything. So mm -hmm. I just feel like I've seen so many times it gets mismanaged and I've experienced it as a volunteer and I've been a part of an event where it's been sprung on me. And so the successful cases I would say is, you know, talking back to my virtual event example, like a volunteer monitoring the, or the hybrid event, monitoring your chat from another state, another city, anywhere else. That's a great volunteer role. They can chat with people. They're feeling valued. Like that's a role that if you have a volunteer who's passionate, like Mary said, into your community, like that's a perfect role for them. And then you don't have to pay someone to do that. But again, if you just said, hey, we want volunteers in the chat, you didn't give them directions, like it's not going to have the same kind of impact. Yeah. I mean, I hear what you're saying. So it's definitely like a, a role, an event staff role to me, it would be like a volunteer manager. And that's, I think, what will we'll curb a lot of, of that. Because when I've worked with, I've done events where I've had, I've been in charge of like 30 to 40 volunteers on top of everything else. I'm like, this is something that I need to give to somebody else. And so um, 
it was usually like a staff member that I would kind of hand off that piece to. And then under the staff member would be two lead volunteer managers. They're volunteers, but they're people we know and rely on. So we know that they can handle that responsibility. And then under them are like all those 30 to 40 volunteers who have gone through two trainings and they show up the day of and know exactly what they're supposed to do. So that, on the other hand, requires a lot from your volunteers, which I think people are afraid to to do because it's it's nice of them to donate their time. So you don't want to have them do all these trainings and things like this. But that's the trade-off for what Logan was talking about. If you want to do it well, then you need to do stuff like that. And so I think we agree in one, one way or another. We do. Yeah. I think our first our first visceral instinct at, at the stop top, I was so <laughs> excited, Mary, that we were going to disagree because <laughs> we never Finally. do. It. So I was like, oh, yeah, she's going to say oh, underrated. I'm going to say overrated. Perfect. But yeah, I think as, as in all things we talk about, I feel like it's uh, when done well, you know, it, it works. But I think Mary's point, volunteer manager, really important, especially if you have more than like three volunteers, that really should be a role. Often I see that. I think, again, where it goes wrong is somebody's a volunteer manager in addition to being the registration manager or the production lead or something. And that, you know, it's yeah. just, it's too much. It's it's too many things. Um, and my my little extra tip for, uh, you know, what I think makes an, a successful event team, whether they're volunteer or paid, is showing appreciation for your team after an event, especially if it is a full day or a multi-day, even the small ones. Anytime I have either written thank you notes or received a thank you note. I know I always felt really special that at least somebody's acknowledging the time regardless if I was paid or not, but especially if I wasn't paid because it's nice to acknowledge that um, for being a part of it. And so just making sure your team feels like a team when you're thinking about your event staff. That's a great, great tip and probably great way to end. I totally agree. And so don't forget about the people, who, the events are teamwork. So though you might be the manager, and a lot of it comes from you. It's a team that makes it possible. So here, here. Well, I think that brings us to our bonus tip for the week. Mary, you have it. What's your bonus tip for us? So my bonus tip for today is about making a business resume. This is something that I have, and it's specific to my business, not, not necessarily myself, though I am my business. So it has a little like about me, uh, about EP events section. It has the some sample services that we offer and some some list of um, past clients and then like my social tags and where they can find us and where they can find the portfolio and all that stuff. So it's like a resume, but it's for your business. This is something that I love to send after networking meetings because you have these meetings and you talk through the services and stuff, but I'm afraid it won't stick with people. So I just say, I'm just going to send you this little thing. It's like a one pager and you can keep it on file in case you ever need it. And then I send it to them and they're usually like, oh, wait, that was actually super helpful. Thank you, because I forgot that you said that you offered this sort of service. And so that's my bonus tip for today is make a business resume. That's amazing, Mary. I feel like we need to make a note to do an episode just about networking with other professionals because it sounds like you've got some good other tips for folks. But that brings us to the end of our episode this week. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Better Events Pod. You can send us an email at bettereventspod at gmail.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back in your feeds again next Wednesday. Bye, guys. Bye.